BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. About a scorpion Wait. tail, you little fucking, you little ant, whatever. Cry about it, crying about the death of a single <laughs> ant. Man, we could have picked uh, one of the kids, one of the adults. There's so many lines we could have chosen oh, to yeah, open this up. Wayne with. Zelensky, Zelensku. What's his name? <laughs> is it the same? Is it the same as the care? Is uh, the Ukrainian president? Is that actually? Of Zelensky, Zelensky. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking Barushnikov. I am Wayne Zelensky, the most negligent parent in the entire world. I should be arrested <laughs> for leaving what is amounts to a nuclear weapon unattended in my house. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We're here to talk about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Bro, I love this movie. I am. This is definitely a one for me, if you please, uh, uh, I episode. did not. I mean, I. this is one of the first movies I saw in the theater. I can, like, remember in, like, flashes individual emotions. But there was, like, zero I remembered about the movie until we rewatched really? it for this episode. <sighs> I remember... Watching the uh, Roger Rabbit short, and then it goes yes. into the animated opening sequence, and my little five-year-old brain, or what is this, 1989? Yeah, five-year-old brain being like, sweet, cartoons, more cartoons. I didn't know this was a cartoon movie. And then it switches to live action, and I'm like, fuck! I mean, whatever uh, the five-year-old- the opposite. I was like, give me, I was like, oh shit, there's this cool animated opening. I mean, I was a little bit older, a little more wizened than you, Jake. Mm, I un true. understood going in that there would be real human live people mm -hmm. talking, but I, did I know them? I would cry- Watching this movie, no. I did not know I would cry watching this movie. Laugh my butthole off. My stupid, dumb, six-year-old butthole. None of that stuff. I, I was totally blown away by this this movie. I, I absolutely loved it. Jake, I, it's one of my favorite movies from my childhood. I'm so excited to do this episode. It's definitely the first time my parents had to explain that like movies aren't real. Because mm. my I could not wrap my head around what in my eyes were like, Actual giant bugs and Lego pieces and oatmeal cream pies and all this stuff. Like, it felt so viscerally real 
to me. And the fact is, watching it again, it is visceral. Yeah. It is. These kids get banged up, knocked around. They are touching yep. things. They are interacting with this physical world. And like every little thing that happens on screen uh, really hits way harder than I feel like a million different kids movies that are out now where it's just some kids running away from like a CGI magoo in the background where they're just like, oh. It makes such a huge difference. It was so much fun learning about all of the special effects that went into this film. The director himself, this was his debut. He's a special effects master going into this. The It, it is such a, it holds up. I can't even, I can't even uh, express that enough. Go on Disney, watch this movie. It, maybe if you have kids now, they're going to love it. it. It is totally, and like the heart of the movie is really great. Like, the, there's this whole like toxic masculinity B plot going on mm-hmm. with the neighbor dad and son. There's so many. It's just like still works on all of these levels, uh, even outside of the brilliant. You get to see some uh, minors French each other. It's great. It's uh, absolutely everyone go loves way that. harder than you're expecting. You're like, oh, they used to do that back then, huh? Yeah, they went for it. They the, didn't care. And then when you're done with the first movie. Hop back on Disney Plus, put your cursor over to Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, and delete the (laughs) app because that movie was terrible. Yeah. Completely different uh, production team, completely different writer, completely different director. Snooze, weird, bad. Who cares? Yeah, it it, it was so bad. Jake deleted his Disney app thinking that would somehow get rid of the movie. But unfortunately for you, Jake, it is still exists for no, no, everyone no, no. else who I has the I banished it to the shadow realm <laughs> using the power of friendship. That is how technology works. Yeah, this is definitely more about one movie, a movie. Uh, the rest of the quote-unquote franchise, not so much. I will say that we did get a really good theme park section out of it, which is Two. really cool. Two, I'd say. Two, yeah. Honey, yeah. I Shrunk the Audience, which was an incredible cool. 4D movie. Uh, freak, uh, the little, uh, there was like under your seat was a little plastic straw connected to an air hose that when the mice are let loose in the theater, quote unquote, uh-huh. it would tickle your legs. And that like made me flip the fuck out when I was a kid. Yeah. Also for me under my seat, there was a ba- little baggie of cocaine, <laughs> which was weird. That was left but over from the Captain EO experience <laughs> back in the early eighties. Uh, it was part of John Landis's, uh, vision that everybody in Orlando should do a little t- while you're watching the movie. <laughs> if you look under your seat, kids and adults, you'll find the special stay awake powder that we've been experimenting with on our soldiers. And on top of, th- but besides Honey, I Shark the Audience, I forgot about this until beautiful, beautiful wife Marie uh, reminded me there was that whole Honey I Shrunk the Kids playground area with the bit with a ant yeah. and uh, a big roll of film and. A giant oatmeal cream pie that you could run around in. That stayed open till like 2016. That was like around yeah. forever. And you can still catch it on YouTube as always. I, I I can always stress go on YouTube and relive these things and watch the or or enjoy them for the first time. These things that may not exist in our in our lovely theme parks. And uh, yeah, it that's about it. Although we do have an, an announcement. I didn't even realize going into this episode there was is a forthcoming. 
potential revival for the franchise, which would be cool. Because it's a shame that there's only one great film that came out of it. But man, going uh, at, right before we start recording, I was telling Jake, I was like, this is one of those like pop-up video episodes where I don't know if I have this one big central theme to tie the yeah. room together, but I do. There's just so many fun facts, so many oh shit moments doing the research for this. And it just really speaks to everything. It reconfirms over and over again how I feel about making movies for kids and how kids want to be respected on a certain level. Kids want to want stuff that that's, they don't feel talked down to. And really, this was... And now, knowing the creators of the original concept, this was Baby's first horror film. Mm-hmm. And this was such... It got its hooks in me so bad because of that, because that backyard was a forbidden, scary, gross, mm-hmm. troubling world that every now and again gives you a massive treat with a giant, let's say, oatmeal cookie or Lego block or something like that. But for the most part, like the, even the blades of grass, they were so detailed, so like devotingly, lovingly created every single one of them. You can see the little like kind of gross spindles coming off them. They just looked real and like not welcoming. And then that's outside of the wonderful animatronic creatures and stop motion creatures and all that good stuff that they, they played with as well. And definitely one of those um, kitchen sink kind of films where, and when it comes to special effects, I mean, they are using lenses and blue screen and practical effects and, and animatronics. Just an and just actual giant broom that they are yeah, smacking children with. Totally. And it works so well. It's it's uh, really quite a gem. Really reminds me, and it came out around the same time. And of course, I associate with it because it wa- even had that Roger Rabbit short. But I really associated my head with Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and mm-hmm. I think I realize now it's because they went so above and beyond with effects on both of those mm-hmm. films. And the more you know, the more you can appreciate watching these movies. I just love and it. And so let us get into this. What I'm going to call a fr- Freudian nightmare of yeah. child endangerment, uh, the father figure uh, devouring his own firstborn son like Saturn devours Zeus. Yeah, I was the really children part, suffocating in a trash bag. The part at the end when Rick Moranis uh, brings them all back to normal size and then he goes, and f- and I, po- I will apologize by doing this. <laughs> and he rips his own eyeballs out of his head and he's just bleeding. They're like, thank you, father. You have now given a proper apology by gouging your own eyeballs. It was very crazy. I was like, what are we in right now? Are we in a Greek tragedy from the depths of hell? Or are we watching a children's film? <laughs> then I feel like where they blur that line is where that what makes this movie particularly special. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and again, we're about to lay it down on you. I'll just I'm just gonna say the word reanimator. Man, this made me want to do a reanimator episode, uh, by the way. I would love to I love that movie. I'll drink some glow sticks in honor just to prepare for it. And I'll hide a baggie of cocaine under my chair and <laughs> just pretend I'm discovering it uh, as if I was on some 4D Disney ride. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is a 1989 sci-fi comedy written by Stuart Gordon, Brian Usna, and Ed Naha. Uh, directed by Joe Johnson and stars Rick Moranis, Matt Frewer, April Head What the fuck? Member of the DK crew. The DK. The 
Marsha Strassman and Christine Sutherland. Wait, wait, wait. Don't Marsha Strasburg me after doing that. You can't just go right into Marsha Strasburg. I've got, hey, I got to keep him guessing. I'm going to do it right in the middle of the synopsis, in the middle of the cast, listing off the names of the members of the cast. We were like, that's how to barely 10 minutes in. I can't believe this. Anybody who, who decided to listen to Wish of the Bruiser for the very first time was like, oh, I remember on Angela the Kids. That's a good episode to start with. I specifically want to confuse those people about our inside joke. It's about a failed inventor and uh, that actually shrinks his kids and his, and his neighbor's kids down to a quarter inch. And after a, well, it's three quarters of an inch, actually, right? I saw a differing thing. Is it I quarter thought quarter, inch? Of, quarter? I mean, they said quarter they say of the an script. inch. script. Then some other guy, I think it was Johnson himself, was like, it was three quarters mm. of an inch. I was also, in an interview. now that we're thinking about it, they the kids shrunk themselves. It was a holy kid. Rick Moranis was not active in any part of the shrinking process besides building the incredibly dangerous unattended weapon of destruction. They were originally going to call the movie, honey, the kids shrunk themselves. I wasn't around, but they <laughs> found a way to activate the machine. But, uh, you know, Jeffrey Katzenberg was like, you got to shorten that. That mm. is way too long. Uh, I hate you guys. I hate everything about you guys. So they had to change it. Uh, but anyways, yeah, they have to partake in an epic journey across their backyard. Let's get into the original inception, the original writing team that forms around this idea. It's uh, from a very unusual place, uh, in my opinion, and I love that this ended up happening. Stuart Gordon. Let's talk about him. He grew up in Chicago, and when he went to college at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, he tried to get into film classes but was unable to, so instead he turned to the theater as his major, and there he founded his first theater company called Screw Theater. It was the late 90s, and experimental theater was pretty popular at the time. Gordon also, by the way, a huge fan of the horror genre, loved the works of folks like H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Allan Poe, in 1968, Gordon produced a play called The Game Show, which seems like a total nightmare to attend, and I'm very glad I never had to. The audience is locked in the theater. Members are humiliated, beaten, even sexually assaulted. Of um, These folks are uh, mostly plant audience plants, but that still. That mostly is a very upsetting uh, yes. qualifier. Every performance ended with the audience rioting and stopping the show. Uh, so really experimental, really like r reminds me a bit of stuff from college. But yeah, wait, isn't I'm pretty sure a similar thing happened when Murderfist did San Francisco Sketch Fest. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We locked them in, but we killed them all. <laughs> so uh, no one left or ended the show, which was great. We were like, it, the show goes on forever for you. And we still um, mess with those bodies sometimes. We go back to the theater about once or twice a year and manipulate the bodies. It's nice that you have a friendship that like has those little like uh, routines and rituals. Right. We need a reunion, and some people go to a resort. We go to the theater where we killed all those people, and we play with their bodies, their corpses. Another show he put on around this time got him and the woman that would later become his wife arrested for obscenity. Uh, it was a portrayal of Peter Pan, but as a Vietnam protest, which involved an acid trip 
scene that incorporated a light show on the bodies of seven naked women. Women. <laughs> After cutting ties with his college due to this event and a move to Chicago and two theater companies later, he became highly successful in the Chicago theater scene. And his organic theater company, uh, all through the 70s and 80s, really like revived independent theater there. His biggest hit was a series of plays he wrote called The Warp Trilogy, a science fiction piece about an everyday bank teller that is transported to another planet to take on the role of, quote, Avenger of the Universe. And folks point to and it. And then obviously it was then adapted into a tour in which you could drink eight bottles of Surge and watch Blink-182. <laughs> Absolutely. A lot of the meaning was lost in that translation. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's a Warp Tour joke? Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> awesome. And uh, folks point to uh, this Warp Trilogy as the precursor to the sci-fi boom led by Star Wars. Gordon then got into the bi- film business in the mid-80s with a couple of cult hits based on H.P. Lovecraft stories. Oh, hold on, wait, I'm sorry. The idea that like a guy is watching Star Wars for the first time, sees it on the big screen, is like, yeah, that was definitely influenced by my Chicago independent alternative theater troupe. No, no. What I mean by that, you're right. I should clarify. What I mean by that is people look towards that as like the uh, um, essentially like he was on the ahead of the curve. Oh, okay. Like he yeah, was, yeah. All he right. was realizing sci-fi was going to come back in a big way right before Star Wars happened. I doubt it had to do with <laughs> it, but still, it was the only show he wrote and produced that ended up on Broadway. It did get the most notoriety of anything, so all it right. could have had a little bit of a trickle. But fair yeah, enough, yeah, you enough. were totally you were correct on that. It did not influence Star Wars, uh, but there was a little green man named <laughs> Yuda uh, in it. <laughs> No, none of that. Uh, Gordon then got into the film business in the mid 80s. I'm not really sure how he made the transition. I was really digging hard. Uh, Gordon and Yuzna, who we're about to get into, I'm like, but how did they like do that? Uh, maybe back in the day, it was as simple as like, I'm going to move to Hollywood and just like get involved. In but- a lot of these 70s, 80s uh, film guy stories we've told, that is kind of just how it went down. Yeah, jealous. He uh, he gets in the film business in the mid-80s with a couple of cult hits based on H.P. Lovecraft stories, and they are Reanimator and From Beyond, which made a huge name for himself as a horror and writer-director, and he did this with his partner, Brian Yuzna, who grew up in Nicaragua, Puerto Rico, and Panama before moving to Atlanta, Georgia in the 60s. This guy seems really interesting. Yuzna in the 70s lived on a commune in North Carolina. He worked odd jobs to make ends meet. Yuzna was also a big lover of movies and Lovecraft and Poe and all that stuff as well and wanted to get into the business. And at some point in the 80s, Brian goes to Chicago. He sees a production of Gordon's theater, uh, uh, Gordon's show called uh, ER Emergency Room. This was a medical thriller. And after the performance, it's Yuzna who approaches Gordon about directing Reanimator with him. Oh, wow. Essentially, this is what I, how I've read it. So, but it's kind of, they, it's pretty vague. The story isn't like super specifically mapped out from anything I could find. Essentially, Brian wheeled and dealed to get a distrib. Essentially, Brian wheeled and dealed to get a distributor for the project, while Stewart handled casting and. Through this process, they gained a great working relationship moving forward, as well as a reputation in the horror world for putting out great stuff. And it's at this point where we finally get to the inception of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. They 
are these interesting guys, this one guy who's doing a lot of experimental theater in Chicago, really avant-garde, really really just a wild. This other guy's live, grow, living on a commune mm-hmm. through, I guess, his 20s. Very interesting backgrounds. Independent spirits, uh, renegade artists, and as always, the story of our lives <laughs> brought to mainstream uh, uh, dishonor, lowering themselves to the masses because of their fucking kids. Well, they end up suburban. They end up, you know, or rather they ended up in suburbia. They ended up with wives, wives and kids and all this kind of thing. All of a sudden they look around and they're like, this is not my beautiful house. <laughs> This is all my beautiful wife. Letting the dance go by. Yeah, it was that whole song. Just go listen to that song and then come back and you'll know the whole part we're talking about. So Gordon uh, had this to say about how they came up with it. I remember really clearly how it all began. I was with Brian Usna in his backyard, and he was really upset because his kids had gone to see a movie called The Journey of Natty Gan, which was directed by a neighbor, uh, Jeremy Kagan, if that matters at all. This is a forgotten 1985 live-action Disney movie about a plucky little girl and her loyal dog. I have zero recollection of this movie. Before we did research for this episode, I have never heard... Of the journey of Natty Gan. And a terrible name, too. The journey of Natty Gan makes I mean, me just not I've been on a journey of it. Natty Lights, but that was a sad movie. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. It's almost as bad as the original title of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but we'll get into it in just a little bit. So uh, the neighbor had directed it. Uh, uh, I'll get back to Gordon's quotes, which was directed by a neighbor whose kids went to the same school as they did. The director's kids invited the entire class to come to an advanced screening. And Brian's kids came home afterward and said, Dad, how come we never get to see any of your movies? Which knocked his nose a little out of joint. Uh, this, uh, Yuzna said, I looked around and said, well, when I was a kid, I used to play, get right down on the grass level and imagine being real small and riding on a beetle or an ant or a bee. He jumped right on that. Uh, Gordon did. And we immediately started inventing a story about some kids that get shrunk by their dad. Who's an inventor. Just in absolute response, it was all just based on like, I want to make a movie for the kids. I, I the, the Kids got a point. And in a way, it's kind of within his uh, wheelhouse. This is actually yeah, yeah. like, how does the director of Reanimator end up, uh, you know, making a children's movie? And the fact is, there's a mad scientist, there's violence, mm-hmm. there's shit getting out of hand, there's all sorts of things. And Disney itself had a whole run of weird uh, kind of uh, sci-fi family hits in the past. You know, uh, Absent Mind Professor, Flubber, uh, 
the monkey's uncle is one that's listed in this article that I don't remember, but it's listed in an article. Uh, the uncle's monkey as well, which mm-hmm. is a really bad sequel. Just a, it just was a just this big monkey smoking cigars, drinking too much at Thanksgiving. It was crazy. That uh, one where the guy turns into a fish. That one's uh, got some body horror. The Mr. Limpet. Remember that one? Oh, Mr. Limpet. I was thinking of Fish Fucker 5, but oh, that was a no, pornography no, no. film I that witnessed was, yeah, a few yeah, years yeah. ago. Uh, I believe the subtitle Starring was Tom, Back Tom to the Aquarium. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Back to the Aquarium. Yeah, yeah. It was so bad. God, that movie was bad. I watched the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get hard once. It was unreal how bad that movie Honey, was. Honey, come it to bed. Just... No, I'm finishing this. I'm finishing it. I'm finishing it, and then I'm going to... Man, I'm going to just not J-O until tomorrow, I guess. Um, and <laughs> Anyways. Uh, where We're an were educational we? podcast, by the way. We are a place people come to learn. Yeah, they already heard the Donkey Kong, the DK rap. I mean, what do they need? Uh, yeah, that's that taught them what the the all the Kongs do in the video game. Mm-hmm. They've gotten their education for the day. So that at very afternoon that they had this incredible occurrence with the kid coming home and them decide, you know, coming up with this idea. They sit down and they beat out a concept based on their new lifestyle and love of 1950s sci-fi with a dash of that horror element that they understood so well. Gordon said, "Hey, Gordon." backs up exactly what you just said. Uh, really, it's not that different from Reanimator. It's about a mad scientist, an experiment that goes wrong, and so forth. The potential for severing some heads was there. So in that single afternoon, they came up with a bunch of plot points, such as the dad having a shrinking machine that gets activated by a baseball crashing through the window, as well as the kids getting thrown out with the trash. And they initially titled it, you ready for this? Oh, I love Teeny- this. Teeny... Weenies. Oh, was small penises not taken? Is that what a bad name for a movie? What a bad, weird name for a movie. It's very much. I just is don't not, understand. It's not. It's. It doesn't have that certain panache. It doesn't have that uh, je ne sais quoi. Uh, I agree. I believe it was um, a famous supervillain of uh, classic Disney. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who immediately demanded that the name be changed. Yes, it was. It was the only thing he didn't like about the pitch. I know this because, yes, they ended up taking their idea to Disney. And that seems like maybe a little difficult, especially these days. But at the time, Stuart Gordon had a very powerful agent because of his past uh, success in the theater and his small film career success. um, Supposedly... Uh, this is are you, you got a lot of this from the same AV Club article? I, I probably read, right? yeah yeah. One of Katzenberg's uh, besides the title uh, at the that he demanded be changed to the first production meaning. Uh, he had other suggestions like uh, the scene where Wayne Rick Moranis's character almost devours his own offspring like some kind of mythological ogre. Yes, in order to make sure that Disney could land product placement deals with cereal companies. <laughs> Yes, that was on there as well, for sure. He had some stuff, but uh, uh, oh the wait, another one, was uh, the title. another thing that uh, Gordon uh, wrote relating his uh, Katzenberg's input. As we continued to write and rewrite the script, Jeffrey would throw concepts at us. 
once he suggested that the minuscule kids should encounter an enormous pile of dog shit. As big yes. as the Beverly Center, he enthused. Now, <laughs> thanks to Jeffrey, whenever I see the Beverly Center, I think of it as an enormous turd. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't do the big dog dookie. I feel like it would have taken away from the uh, from the, the moments. There's that all are sorts the of weird shit in earlier drafts of this movie. There's uh, one version had a fifth child that was going to drown during the sprinkler scene and mm-hmm. just flat out die. Another early version of the script that I found online uh, was really involved with like this pile of muck and syrup where a bunch of dead fly corpses were just like bloated and floating around and like the kids had to navigate the dead fly corpses. It was uh. like really gnarly reading that scene. I mean... I totally get it, though, because there's got to be a video game adaptation at some point, right? That is absolutely a level in a video game. I don't even know if there was, like, some shitty PC game. Like, it feels like every movie at least has, like, something for the Amstrad. There has to be a... I remember it on the box of a Nintendo or Sega Genesis or something. There has to be a video game adaptation. That sucks. Getting back to this, though, one thing I definitely thought about was this title... I'm surprised. I I really would love to know who came up with it and what their thinking was, because I feel like at the time, you know, in years since, especially with like the indie boom in film and music of the 20 of the 2000s and 2010s, you saw this way too much and became like this eye rolly thing. But Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, a movie with the title being like a sentence (laughs) and not just two words or something like that. Let's agree. It was the Godspeed, you black emperors of Disney's 1980s film. Well, it was it really stood out, though. I remember that was one initial selling point was it's just such a unique, interesting title for a movie. That I feel like got lampooned in years later and then also way overdone in years after Stop that. Stop or my mom will shoot. Ways. Throw mama Sorry, from my the mom will sh- shoot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they shoot horses, don't they? There's tons of like cool sentence movie titles. Ones, yeah. But for some reason, that was definitely like a, a standout. And I am surprised that that's what they changed it to. But thank God, because Teeny Weenies sucks ass. There was another potential title that they almost went with, uh, and it's ironically enough, it was Grounded, oh. which we, which I, it, it feels like it has to be on purpose. Right. That survival game that Obsidian put out where you are, it's basically Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the game. It's called Grounded. It's called yeah. Grounded. And so it, they had to have known. They had That's to. interesting. Yuzna said this about getting uh, the script finished. Then we needed a writer, and we proposed Ed Naha, who had worked on the second movie that Stuart and I did together called Dolls. Ed had written that screenplay, and so that's the way that we knew him. Stuart especially felt very comfortable with Ed, because even Dolls was basically a fairy tale. We developed the script up until about 87. Then it was ready to be shot. We developed a script with Ed and David Hopperman. One anecdote Gordon likes to tell had to do with an early stage in the writing process. Gordon said, after we sent the first draft of the treatment to Disney, we got a note back saying, please make this more like the absent-minded professor and less like the fly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that early draft is definitely going to be real, much more leaning towards the horror side. And as fun as that would have been, I do think they found the perfect balance for the kid audience as the drafts went on and everything. One last thing about the title that I find fascinating is that upon the film's release in 1989, it got a Dunce Cap Award. 
by uh, mm. a group known as the Society for the Preservation of English Language and Literature, a.k.a. the Spell Group. <laughs> they released, they put out a press release saying that the title grammatically should be called Honey, I Shrank the Kids, shrunk being the past participle and would not and is not uh, grammatically correct in the title. Oh, man, I can't like unhear that now. It's going to fuck with me every time I hear the title. Ugh, it's a it doesn't it's a worser sounding title. But now that I know that in my head, it's hard to disregard the fact that that I have that shrunk been shrunk. is wrong. Yeah. Also, shrinked is not a word. It is shrank or shrunk, depending on who is saying. Honey, what. I have shrunk the kids. Yeah. Less cool. Honey, I shrank the kids is correct. Uh, according to this Los Angeles Times article from 1989, a Disney official had to respond to the group saying it was done deliberately. It was not an error. That's what Rick Moranis, the father in the movie, says. Honey, I shrunk the kids. The title was taken from that. It is not an error. <laughs> So moving into pre-production, since this needed to be a budget picture, they looked to Mexico to build a fake suburb at Churubusco Studios in Mexico City. During the nine months building process, they constructed 12 house sets with front and backyards, as well as the 10 foot tall oatmeal cookie, a giant mechanical ant covered in horse hair, a ton of 40 foot tall gra grass blades and a 16,000 gallon tank full of cum. I'm sorry, water, <laughs> food thickener and pigment to make it look like cum. I'm sorry, milk. <laughs> um, so this is actually kind of impressive because... If you look really carefully, and you would never have noticed this back in the VHS days, but the, during outdoor sequences, if you can see the sky, you can see that a lot of the sky is just other studio lot buildings painted sky blue. They really were just all confined on this soundstage. And even the way the houses are arranged gives the neighborhood this very claustrophobic feel. It kind of reinforces the fact that, like, this backyard, this house is now the universe to these kids. And it kind of uh, gives the idea of these like suburban neighbors kind of piled on top of each other, resenting each other. It like helps with the fact that they're hiding the fact it was all done on sound stages, as well as reinforces the themes of the movie. Um, in the IMDb trivia section, which is not the most reliable uh, place to do it, uh, there was actually some... Uh, because some hullabaloo, because uh, the production company that originally put together the film took pictures of two houses in Coronado, California, with the intention of filming there. And after Disney, uh, you know, picked up the movie, they used those reference photos to build some of the houses in Mexico. The homeowners back in Coronado, California, threatened to sue Disney, saying, you use the likeness of our houses without permission, without payment. And we demand uh, compensation. And Disney mm. eventually settled it out of court, which is a very, that's like, imagine being like, hey, that's my foyer. Fuck you, fucking Disney. Give me money. <laughs> oh, man, you just made me remember there's another weird factoid about the title. Mm -hmm. Some other guy stepped in and said, uh, said that it was, oh, yeah, that's what it was. Uh, Disney was sued by director Paul Alter, who claimed he had originally come up with an idea in a screenplay he wrote called Now That's a Baby. Uh, that's in reference, though, to Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. And uh, Disney ended up having to pay him 300 
$8,000 for apparently coming up with a very similar idea for a uh, for a movie concept is Honey, I also Blew Up the Kid. Also for Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, uh, the movie was originally not meant to be yes. a sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. It was already a screenplay and project they had greenlit called, quote unquote, Big Baby. Yes. <laughs> that they then adapted, which, uh, dear God, they should have just called it Big Baby because that's just the whole movie. It goes to show... I had to keep bringing up cocaine, but it just goes to show how much coke was fueling the idea people of Hollywood at the time. That is the most <laughs> 80s coked up idea. It's a giant baby. Ah! Like, <laughs> that, That's great idea. Up the it's a really good idea. It's just, it's just like uh, 82 minutes of just a bunch of actors going, wow, the baby's so big. And then it confused one of two twins yes. just like going, Ah, in front of a blue screen. It's so Just, fucking It's lame. like sad. There's like something sad about Profoundly it a little bit. Profoundly sad. So while Yusin is working on these sets and props and things in Mexico, Katzenberg is, uh, I'm sorry, not Katzenberg, uh, uh, Stuart, what's his name again? Uh, Stuart Gordon is kind of having a bit of a breakdown. Uh, apparently, Jeffrey Katzenberg has an insane work ethic. That makes sense to me. He, zero and he chill. Ex- Famously zero, zero chill. chill. And expects everyone around him to have the same level of work ethic. And so Katzenberg, or Gordon rather, is just way overworked. Starting to lose his mind a little bit. And uh, he gets so stressed out. He goes to the doctor. The doctor literally says, it is too much of a health risk for you to go through with directing this picture. So that is how it is not uh, Stuart Gordon's film, if you know anything about who directed it. It ends up going to Joe Johnston. Uh, Joe Johnston started the fuck out on Star Wars as a concept artist and effects technician and even co-created the design for Boba Fett in The Empire Strikes Back. That was how he started in the industry. Between that and his work on Raiders of the Lost Ark for Spielberg, he had an Academy Award in his hands very soon into his career. In 1984, George Lucas gave him a sabbatical with salary and full tuition paid to attend the USC School of Cinematic Arts. However, Johnston was asked to leave, apparently, after one year because he, quote, broke too many rules. (laughs) Love that fact about him. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Johnson had immediate concerns about both the special effects and how to pull everything off, as well as with the script, and that the characters all felt still a bit flat. Johnston then pulls in Tom Schulman, whose previous credits include Dead Poet Society, to flesh out the script. I will say... I do love the heart in it. They still are a bit caricaturish, mm-hmm. but you no, at least have the like nerd, a, the bully, the teen, yeah, the the, the 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 like unmisunderstood teen, the popular girl, yeah. right? I mean, very straight up. But they find some good arcs for those characters. You know, they 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 make it believable, and I do love again that. 
father son conflict with mm-hmm. the neighbors. They, you know, they also deal with like marriage troubles with uh, the the Schnurchen Zelensky burgers, the Zelenskys, the Zelensky parents, Rick Moranis and uh, his characters and his wife in the film. They, you know, and that was something I didn't see a lot, especially in a comedy film, and could kind of resonate. Even though my parents stayed together, I, I was like, oh. I, I, this is familiar-ish. So that was kind of cool as well. Uh, do you want to get into the casting? Jake Young. I just wanted to uh, bring up one other factoid, which was, uh, you know, Joe Johnson was a untested director at this point. Yes. But he definitely had, a, for a film this special effects heavy, that did use a lot of composite effects, uh, you know, the, we talked about it in the Empire Strikes Back uh, thing. They used all sorts of, like, really innovative techniques to make these uh, flying spaceships match up with the footage behind them for this very realistic effect. You can end the stop motion effects happening on top of everything else. Um, And so Johnson might've been the only guy that could even like communicate what needs to be done for each of these shots. He used extensive storyboards to make sure all the separate teams were on the same page for what was needed for each individual shot when they came together. Um, anecdotally, when meeting Jeffrey Katzenberg for the first time, uh, Johnston's, uh, asked him if, uh, the only reason he was being hired was due to his student film, the only completed film that he had a direction credit for. And Katzenberg replied, no, we're hiring you in spite of your student film. (laughs) So yeah, once again, Katzenberg queen of the (laughs) negs, queen of (laughs) the fucking, uh, keep you on your toes. Love it. So, yeah, let's talk about him. I thought I was going to be going more in depth on Rick Moranis on a future uh, Little Shop of Horrors episode that I still am prepared to do at some point. I love the guy. He's amazing. I'll try not to spend too much time on him, but let's give a little background. Rick Moranis stars as Jewish, Canadian. You're caught up. Zelensky. You're done. It's over. Let's move on. No, Jake. No, please. Let's give him a little bit of uh, credit where credit is due. Moranis started out as a radio DJ in the mid-70s at three different Toronto radio stations. His radio name back then was Rick Allen. Boo. <laughs> also, yeah, very unassuming, very bizarre. Also, with com- uh, with comedy partner Rob Cowan, he would perform bits on CBC TV, which led to more television work on the CBC show Hockey Night in Canada. What a, what a Canadian TV show title. Unbelievable. Hockey Night in Canada. These appearances resulted in his being asked to join the third season cast of Second City Television, also known as SCTV. At that point, the only cast member who was not brought up through the Second City Improv Troupe. Yes, and that was because of Dave Thomas, who ended up being his very close uh, comedy partner during these years, uh, recommended him for the TV show. But if you don't know anything about SCTV, look it up, man. I mean, it is where all some of, a lot of your favorite comedians came from. Uh, Eugene Levy, John Candy, it goes on and on. So while on the show... With Dave Thomas, he creates the hit characters Bob and Doug McKenzie, which ended up getting a sketch in every episode of the fourth season due to high demand of these characters. They were just like the drunk Canadian hockey bro, like schlub guys. They were just like the perfect archetype of those guys. It's I mean, it's ironic because the one of the things with Canadian media production is that a lot of it is... Um, you know, helped out. It is financed and supported by government money. It is, you know, in order to keep a sense of Canadian national identity intact, 
which is why there's so many like experimental filmmakers and animators and so many cool creatives that get to have careers because of this available like funds for Canadian made and Canadian identified media. And the only reason the Bob and Doug McKenzie characters even exist was because of an edict from the CBC to add more quote unquote identifiable Canadian content to SCTV in order to keep getting those uh, kickbacks. So after SCTV, holy shit, did Moranis have an incredible run in films in the 80s, including Ghostbusters, Spaceballs, and Little Shop of Horrors. Moranis' part was initially offered to Chevy Chase, who was busy making National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and had to turn it down. It was then offered to John Candy, who also turned it down, but who suggested Rick Moranis for the role. Very similar, like Dave Thomas suggested him for SCTV. Other sources say that Martin Short was also in the runnings, but the point is they needed a Canadian. They were like, yes. get me a Canadian funny man for this Makes role. sense. Because they need that like everyday Joe kind of vibe. Mm. And that totally makes sense. This definitely felt, as much as he was a mad scientist, he also kind of needed to feel like he could be your dad. Mm -hmm. You know? And that's where why Moranis was perfect. I think Martin Short would have actually done a pretty decent job at it too. And I'd be interested to see John Candy's take. But Moranis is way more perfect, in my opinion, just because of the nerdiness inherent oh, yeah. in his roles and his, and his being. Miranda said, I wanted to do a film that was family-oriented. Through the years, I've really developed a huge following of kids as a result of Spaceballs and Little Shop of Horrors. I'm, I'm sorry. Through the years, I've really developed a huge following of kids as a result of Spaceballs and Little Shop and Ghostbusters. And I get sent a fair number of scripts that try to do this kind of thing but fail because they're either not funny or they're too much. They cross the line into horror. And I stay away from them. This one I thought worked. Really interesting because I feel like this is the... That's what it does is cross the into horror, but in a way that's palatable. So much so that I only looking back do I think, oh, that kind of was Baby's first horror movie. But at the time, I never saw it as that. Even though I was terrified. Oh, yeah, I didn't even mention this. Ter I was terrified of the scorpion scene. Oh, yeah. And it gave me a lifelong fear of scorpions. And uh, how how much more of a, an effective Holden, film experience can freak. there be? Everybody loves scorpions. I can't go a whole <laughs> day without playing with my tank of scorpions that I keep on the floor of my apartment. Actually, I revised that. It was between Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and the Boo Box in Hook uh, is why I have a lifelong fear of scorpions. But you're right. I mean, they are demonic and horrible looking. Who loves them? But I have a specific distaste for them. How do you feel about sure. lobsters? Fine with them. Interesting. Love them. But love to watch them die in a pot of water. Mm. Love to watch them scream and die, <laughs> listeners. So Moranis said in a recent interview, because he's back. Well, more on that later. That he felt he may have driven Joe Johnston a bit nuts as Johnston had a specific vision and Moranis was constantly coming up with new lines and bits for laughs and throwing them into takes. Well, that but was other his, than that, yeah. Uh, that was kind of part of his part of his whole deal. Everything from yeah. Ghostbusters to Spaceballs to even Little Shop. He was a comedic actor and an improviser. And, you know, the reason why so many of his performances feel so uniquely him is that even though he's playing a hapless nerd in one movie or a hapless nerd in another movie, it's always still him. And it wasn't until kind of his mid 90s work that he became a big enough marquee actor that he had to like follow the script. And all of a sudden it was like less fun for him. The uh, I totally agreed. 
The rest of the cast, a little less notable. We've got a couple of fun facts about them. Marcia Strassman plays Moranis' wife in the movie and was known for her television roles before this, including Welcome Back, Cotter and MASH. The Next Door Neighbors' parents were played by Matt Frewer and Christine Sutherland. What's the fun fact about Matt Frewer, Jake? Take it away. He was only 30 when the movie filmed, so the fact that he has, like, Fully teenage, uh, fully teenage son is kind of weird if you do the math. No, he was the 1980s icon Max Headroom mm. in both the TV movie and TV series. Oh, that's yeah. isn't that nuts? Remember well. Max Headroom? Come on, everybody, just Google it if you don't remember it. Don't tell me I'm old. You're old or you're too young. Fun fact about Christine Sutherland: she starred as Buffy's mom in the TV series Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The kids are played by Amy O'Neill, Robert Oliveri, Thomas Wilson Brown, and Jared Rushton. They all pretty much were specifically child stars. They didn't really stay in the business past the early 90s, but apparently they got along pretty well and had fun offset kind of hangs and stuff as well during the shoot. So that's cool. It sounds like it was a really fun experience for them. I hope it was because in my childhood mind... I was like, if there was ever a movie I wish I was like a kid actor on, it was probably this one to get to slide down the grass slide and, you know, you get all covered in goo and maybe make out with a girl. You know, I mean, it had everything, right? Yeah, yeah. That was another weird thing, too. The love story between the teens and this. I think it might have been one of my early what's going on in the pants uh, situations. It's definitely some like, oh, wow, a pretty girl shot right. in that movie that for a seven or five-year-old definitely would have been like, oh, girls are objects of desire. Good to know. Right. Also, like, the middle schooler in me really, I mean, that's the ultimate fantasy, right? Like, mm. every time you went on a school trip, all you wished for was some bizarre situation like a shrinking ray that would force mm. the girl you had the crush on to have to hang out with you mm-hmm. for hours on end. And you would be like, uh, displaying all of these heroic and noble traits that you yes. just, oh, gosh darn it, you never had the opportunity in school to do in school you were a sniveling coward all the time but (laughs) when presented with a giant scorpion based situation you'd really step up to the challenge yeah kick a scorpion his stupid face and be like kiss me Rhonda you know what I mean and then she's just like um that doesn't make you more attractive in fact I like scorpions so I'm mad at you about it I'm gonna kiss Jerry a giant claw around her shoulder and just looking at me like what's up bro we good <laughs> We're good. <laughs> Guess I'll play that fucking. You know, I don't even know what I was gonna say. Oh, what is his name? Spot. What's his name? What's the red guy? Uh, the cool red spot. mascot. Cool spot. Guess I'll play that cool spot Sega Genesis game instead. <laughs> Which was actually, you know, that was good for the time. Mm-hmm. That was good for its time. All right. Uh, anywho, uh, let's. It's. I think now is a good uh, time for Jake to shine as well. I have some stuff on it too, but let's talk about special effects mm. because this is really, you know, there's there's so many great things about this movie, like the reanimator guys being behind it and this, that, and the other. But I think the best thing about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is its wonderful mix of practical effects and even maybe a little bit of CGI, uh, dare I say, but not not as much in the practical effects of the movie, more so in that title sequence. So let's talk about it. Uh, so this movie, of course, in fact, was made well before the CGI boom of the 90s, and that's why we get such a better approach. Usna said... 
We brought on Tom Smith from ILM, who had worked on Star Wars and Indiana Jones movies. One of the great things about being over at a studio lot was we could just order up any movie that had to do with little people or big bugs, which is mainly what we wanted. We would just say, we want to see The Incredible Shrinking Man. We want to see The Mysterious Island, where they go in the ballroom and they end up on an island with giant crabs. They get inside a beehive, which was one of the things we were interested in. We watched anything that had to do with that type of effects. so that's and that's why you do have this wonderful combination. Should we talk? Let's talk about that bee flying sequence. Okay, good place to start. Well, it's uh, it's it's a nice mix of a standard kind of Star Wars camera effects where the flight of the bee is uh, timed with the flight of just a camera rolling through the backyard, so the moves match up. Uh, the little twist to it, though, is that they added these like. There's a couple of times in the movie where this comes up. There's some like stop motion boys. Uh, like doing some like janky animation on the bee while they're flying around. It's very jarring to see, but um, the uh, and then of course cut to close ups with a bunch of kids on a giant mechanical bee that they had to just hold on to dear life while a bunch of wind machines were blasting their faces. Um, the production designer also was like really key to making sure that the grass and the like. Uh, There's a clip from uh, like some 90s ABC and now a special behind the scenes look at uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids where uh, he's just going around the backyard set and being like, "Okay, look at this flagstone. It's like normal piece of rock. And then like, but look at the side. It's like striated has all these unique patterns. And like we had to get in there and like recreate this at like 500 times scale and like making sure it looked just right. Like every detail was considered to make these like larger than life props uh, look correct. One of my favorite things that they did was uh, during the sprinkler sequence, when these Mm -hmm. big water droplets are supposed to be like bombing down on these kids and it's supposed to be terrifying. They added like a little bit of viscosity helpers. I think it was that same like um, uh, polymer lube that we've talked about in like a bunch of horror movies, like the alien franchises where like it even changed the surface tension of the water so that it would behave more like as you see in one of those like slow-mo shots of a single drop of water hitting the ground because at that scale, the fluid dynamics, the surface tension is completely different for a a drop of water. Like so many details were considered. The, uh, when he's getting, when the kids are getting swept up on those giant floorboards, which they like, had to use giant floorboards as on a soundstage in that Mexican studio. They had these kids like wired up to a giant broom so that it could like whack them and then lift them up as it sweeps across the floor. It's like so visceral. These kids are getting flung around, knocked around, splashing and falling and swimming through all this bullshit. There is just no room or like it's so viscerally physical all the effects in these in this movie. Yeah. It's like it's amazing with that stuff. And then you have these incredible miniatures, this awesome stop motion work. Uh you know, they did though also so the scorpions done via stop motion. The kids though need to ride anti. So the crew had to create a human-sized ant animatronic puppet. Uh the miniatures assistant Peter Zamora had this to say, the puppet ants being run mostly by cable. Other 
Other than that, we have the mouthpiece, which is remote control. The eyes themselves move by remote control, and the legs work and with puppets as marionettes. So it takes somewhere between 7 to 12 people to make the ant run. But whatever arm movements are done by the arm operator can be repeated by the ant. Auntie can basically do anything. And it, and Auntie can also communicate a lot to, to us, the viewer, to the point where it earns this emotional point. Spoiler alert for Unanswering the Kids, the scorpion murders the ant, and mm-hmm. it's fucking devastating. It's, I mean, this is one of... You see the stinger go in, and you know he's dead, but he's just like, all the kids like are like, you can still make it, right, Auntie? And it, and it gets them all hyped up so they go fight back against the scorpion. It's such a cool moment. And it's, it's you know, one of those early for kids, for, you know, at least when we were kids uh, our age, it was one of those early examples of like finding finding emotional depth in a, in a kid's film. I mean, really, I was really glad to so see well. the ant die. I think ants are gross. I thought he was <laughs> freaky looking. I, well, I think you're gross. Or she. I'm sorry. It was a worker ant. It's, it's not a drone. Whatever. I, I'm no. I'm no entomologist. Don't yell at me. Uh, do you have anything else in the special effects before we move into that opening animation, Jake? No, nothing specific. It's just uh, every single shot was a deliberate and heartbreaking work of effort and genius to get off the ground. Um, it's just. It's just an incredible. Like it. They really just stopped making it like this. Short, a few years after this movie came out. Also, we have to reiterate they had no budget. This was done. I think what was it? Thirty million was the budget. Yeah, maybe even. It was 20? done on nothing. It was done on. You couldn't even do. You know, today you could could make like the shadiest indie movie. You know, it was just an incredible feat for how much money that was. You know, to have a special effects them. blockbuster. Uh, yeah. According to just a quick Google search, 18 million. So 30 million might have been with marketing and promotion thrown in. That's crazy, man. That is such a feat. It doesn't make any sense. So one big surprise was the animation before the film, as well as the opening credits, which really drew me and Jake, as he said before, into the picture immediately when we were kids. Did I even mention, like, I saw us in the theater with my dad, and I absolutely loved it. And so did he. And that was a nice thing, too, because a lot of times we'd go see movies. Together. I remember we saw Problem Child. Oh, yes. and I, it always comes back to Problem Child. It always comes up. I loved it. My dad was like, that's the worst fucking movie I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. I was like, Dad, you just said the F. And he was like, that's right. I'll say it again and again until you can't stop saying it in adulthood. Thanks, Dad. Now I got a potty mouth and I got to wash it out with Wawa from my box. <laughs> I'm April, the kid that was blown that out. up. April, you no, can just go No, I ahead. need them to know about my <laughs> Wawa Baba. Jesus. I'm a parent, too, by the way. And I You're still have my own You're responsible for Baba. a child's life. If, if Winnie ta- ever takes my Wawa Baba, I freak out. <laughs> I start screaming and flailing. <laughs> Back to the opening animation. Before the movie even started in the theater, they ran a Roger Rabbit short called Tummy Trouble, which had Roger Rabbit babysitting Baby Herman to horrific results. And I loved it and thought it was so cool. I remember being confused because I remember seeing Roger Rabbit in the theaters and I was like, what character is Roger Rabbit? And they're like, he's not a real character. They made him up for the movie. And I was like, oh, okay. And then as soon as there was a Roger Rabbit short, on screen at Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I remember like whipping my tiny baby head around being like, what the fuck is this then? 
And then your dad was like, I need Wawa, my baba. And, and then like, my mom started crying. And yeah, I hated that memory that I was weirdly a part of as well, even though we didn't know each other. You were, you were your family was the on vacation to New Jersey and was in a movie theater. Right. And they were like, what? why is this five-year-old three rows behind me acting so confused while his parents are flipping out? I think that's why I now talk about my Wawa baba today. Mm. So there you go. There's some history on that. There's some edutainment about our past lives. Isn't if that they amazing? made a lazy prequel to our podcast, that scene would be in there. <laughs> so yeah, this this opening sequence I did love so much. The, the you know we talked about in the Roger Rabbit episode proper, but I will say it just I, I have to give it as I wish they would do this more often. It was like such a nod to the old school Hollywood movie theater experience where you would get a little animation short before the feature it was the first officially disney produced like short like made since the 1960s that is how long it had been since the studio had even done anything like it and then the opening credits are fully animated and they totally knocked my socks off when i saw it for the first time and now it makes so much sense why this was an early foray into the realm of cgi i had no idea Bill Croyer, back in 1986, was into animation as well as computer stuff. So we combined the two by creating custom software that could integrate digital 3D objects with traditional illustrations by building 3D models digitally and then rendering them as line drawings that could be printed into animation paper and combined with hand-drawn sketches. It's as simple as that, folks. Yeah, it's It's as simple as that. Like, hey, I've discovered a bold new technique where I just print out and uh, 3d stuff that i made on my computer and everyone's like holy shit but the resultant resulting uh but the result was a demo called technological threat and man is it interesting it's super definitely fun. look this up it is such a bizarre like metaphor for the cg takeover that was on its way literally a these this uh, workplace full of wolves a uh, cartoon wolves uh, they're all hanging out the de- working at the desk and slowly they get replaced by these CG robot creatures that look like the most rudimentary early early just version like of two pyramids and a sphere just like floating on top yeah, of each other just floating like the most old school version of CG shapes and stuff um but it is it's crazy like uh, the, to just think about you're watching this and you're like this is a few years off from what actually happens like all this hand-drawn animation gets replaced by this cg stuff and it just go we go from there and the short ends up getting nominated for an academy award ironically though it gets they lose to pixar's tin toy however this this put Croyer on the map and got him the chance to bring his bag of technological tricks to both the title sequence of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and my other probably favorite title sequence of all time, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh. Which, yeah, yeah. That, right? Doesn't it make sense? Christmas Vacation. Ding, ding. And it's all like, so all the CG really exists in the in the titles. Yeah. And the hand-drawn animation is 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 usually like the kids and stuff as that, you all that watch going the up. opening sequence like the actors names and various uh inanimate objects have this like very crude geometric quality about them they're always like being rotated and scaled in a very kind of robotic manner which contrasts with the uh standard 2d animation of the kids kind of running from the very there's a dustbuster that looks like a weird 
Tron vehicle and barely like a dustbuster. There's a mailbox. There's all these like very crude CG elements with these 2D animated children that barely represent the kids from the movie. There's like a non-nerdy boy and a little girl, which makes no sense because it was like a nerd and a teenage girl. Whatever. It's it's confusing. I'll say it's confusing. But um, the hand-drawn animators actually have a little bit of a pedigree. Andrew Stanton, who would uh, one day kind of uh, be a huge guy for uh, Pixar, you know, Wally, uh, Finding Nemo, Finding Dora, like, you know, massive, massive uh, talent for Pixar, as well as Simpsons animator Eric Stefani, yes. who famously was a member of No Doubt before his sister Gwen Stefani joined. They had to bring her on. After he was like, you know what? This pop punk ska whatever band's going nowhere. I'm going to take this job animating for The Simpsons. Later, idiots. And the band blew up. I'm going to say that the Gwen Stefani had a, ha- a lot to do with the band blowing up. Mm, debatable. And, but at this, I don't know. But what a, don't know. what a talented family. Like, geez, Louise. I mean, I feel like Eric Stefani's song, I'm Just a Guy, would also have done <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that I'm not home right now. Talks- I'm ordering a pizza, and pizza. then I'm going to play a bunch of play Sega. A- Sega. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to play a bunch of Spot on Sega. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> on Sega. It's, oh, it's a pretty good game for the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is they weird that he knew that it was Gwen. good, but just for the time. Yeah, <laughs> that was really weird, too. And then I'll play some Quacky Shot. It's Quack Shot, <laughs> Gwen, so, or whatever your name is. Eric. Eric, Eric sorry, my bad. My brain is mush. Also notable about the opening sequence is that the music that accompanies it is just straight up the bum 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 ba da 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 bum 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 ba da da da. I love it. 1937's Powerhouse, which was famously used in a ton of Looney Tunes whenever there was like a big dumb factory scene happening. Uh, and the estate of Raymond Scott was not attributed for this use of their music and actually also had to sue Disney and also got an out-of-court settlement from Disney. Uh, They changed the cue sheets in all future versions of the movie so that uh, Raymond Scott's is now properly listed and he does get residuals or the estate, whatever. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So this movie comes out. One would think this would be death, but it ends up weirdly working out for them. This movie comes out the same time as Tim Burton's Batman. What a fucking awesome summer. Was it the summer, right? Yeah, yeah, June. What a great summer. God damn it, I love it. Wasn't Ninja Turtles also around this time? I think it had to have been. I can probably. What a good summer to be a kid. Oh, you guys missed out. <laughs> All you older people listening, or younger people rather, you missed out. This was such a good summer to be a kid, I'm telling you. No, no, so Ninja fun. Turtles was 1990. This was 1999. Okay. But uh, yeah, I think that's just how long Batman was in the movie theater, because I have distinctly remember Batman and Ninja Turtles being in the movie theater at the same time at the movie theater in the mountains that we went to uh, where I saw Ninja Turtles. Regardless, though, uh, this movie comes out at the same time as Tim Burton's Batman and it actually works out for them because Tim Burton's Batman was so fucking popular that it was so sold out that Honey, I Shrunk the Kids ended up massively uh, benefiting from the runoff because so many showings were sold out of it. And this was a really good second choice for a lot of families who went to go see Batman in the movie theater. And so it, of course, was number two, but it still did gangbusters in the movie theater, especially on a budget of $18 million, and probably even better at, at, on home movies. That is such a testament to how much of a cultural bombshell Batman, the original of Tim Burton movie was 
that like what should have been death for a similar high concept genre e adventure movie uh you know oh the single greatest uh you know adventure superhero movie of ever made up until that point is coming out the same weekend as us we're fucked it w- batman was so popular that literally just Ticket sales from people that couldn't get into Batman was enough to make this thing an even bigger hit. Yeah. That's insane. Does that even happen anymore? It can't. Nobody goes to the theater anymore. Yeah, there's no way. Nobody. Oh, and also, though, you're never going to go to the theater anymore and be like, oh, the big movie I want to see is sold out. Oh, I'll just spend an equal amount of uh, (laughs) money, you know, a quarter of my weekly salary (laughs) on this other movie that I'm not so sure about. Like, that's the difference, I think. Yeah, you're right. right. But yeah, it comes out. It kills. And that led to an amazing slew of sequels, starting with Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Big baby. Jake's new favorite movie. Big Big old baby. What a dumb, uh, yeah. I can't believe I even gave it a chance. I watched it, I think, in the movie theater and was like, oh, yep, cool. It was just so off from what made the first movie great. It's a completely different team. It was not even. And it makes sense that it was also totally like a completely different script. And they're like, wait a second. We could maybe not put any resources into an actual good script sequel. We'll just fucking copy and paste this dumb fuck movie script about a Godzilla type baby taking over Las Vegas and just make it into honey. I blew up the kids. I mean, considering uh, that, you know, Rick Moranis's wife was diagnosed with liver cancer and was dying during the production of it. I think he held his own uh, reasonably well, all things considered. Moranis did, and I think Moranis just did what he had to do between this and Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. I think these were definitely his on my way out Mm. cash grabs and God bless him for it. Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves is the direct-to-video sequel, and it is about how the Zelensky parents accidentally shrink themselves along with the brother and sister-in-law. Uh, and it is whatever. Hey, write in if, if we're sleeping on this, but I'm pretty sure it's dog shit. I could not even be fucked to click the thumbnail in Disney+. Plus. I I'm pretty sure it's as big a dog shit as the pile that Katzenberg <laughs> wanted in the original movie. That's what it seems like to me. Uh, there was, I guess, a TV show. It, w- it aired in the late 90s, and it somehow ran for three seasons and 66 episodes. I say somehow, but... That's the Disney Channel for you. I'm not looking forward to the, just the onslaught of garbage television. I'm going to have to probably witness via Winnie uh, in the near future. It is uh, that I cannot believe it got 66. I can't believe it almost got 100 episodes. That is, it just annoys me. I mean, the How? opening sequence is animated. You might like that. That's neat. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no, this was, I honestly find it uh, bizarre. Uh it's just it's it's not even the same people. They don't even look like the same people. It's like I guess the kid's a little bit of a nerdlinger, so it like almost works. But whatever, you know, it was a uh, family friendly sci fi adventures uh, every week. Like I invented this invention. Oh, it went wrong. Like, right. what are you going to do? It's fine. It's it's actually not a terrible premise. If you if you divorce it from it just being about shrinking the kids and make and make it. Yeah. A different experiment gone awry every episode or what have you. But there's a little bit of possible light at the end of the tunnel here. And I didn't even know about shrunk. It was announced in 2018 as a, quote, legacy sequel film. And it will feature a grown-up Nick Zielinski, played by Josh Gad. I think some people 
are graded by Josh Gad or are a little turned off by him. I, I like Josh Gad. I think it. I think that's an amazing. It's a perfect, in my opinion, perfect choice, especially after just seeing the movie. Perfect choice for that kid. Yeah, that grown up version of that kid. They have very I feel like similar that kid vibes. Would grow up to be a little overly sincere and annoying in a cloying kind of way. Makes sense. Oh, for sure, for sure. And the most exciting thing about it is that Rick Moranis will be coming out of his long semi-retirement, which was caused by that very sad event that Jake just brought up, and reprise his role. You've got Joe Johnston confirmed as the director, and those two folks being involved make me genuinely excited to watch Shrunk. Also, I think it's a good name, too. Yeah, it's weird having Joe Johnstone like kind of back in the saddle. I mean, I think the last movie of his that I sincerely watched was uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. I did not see the Nutcracker in the Four Realms or whatever the fuck that was. Sure, but why would you? But, you know, that's probably another kid's movie, maybe for even for his own kids. But it, it is... I am thrilled that uh, that he's back in. I think you need that special effects master approach to these movies. Oh, yeah. You need the legacy of Rick Moranis attached to these movies. I hope they're able to get some other original performers to be involved. I don't and, think. Uh, I mean, none of the original kids are still acting. Even the weird twins in Honey, I Blew Up the Kids. Are, is not are not doing anything. Well, I know anymore. a couple of them are still acting as they came to that San Francisco performance that Murder Fist did all those years ago. <laughs> oh, no! So, Holden, yes. you admitted That's to, right. It's one thing to admit to killing some random people. Now <laughs> Alle- they have names. Allegedly. Allegedly. Wawa and my baba. <laughs> and I think that this is about to wrap up. We're about to wrap up our episode. Jake, do you have uh, anything else you want to say about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? It's weird that the baseball was the thing that made the beam work in the movie. I never understood the science behind that. Absolutely. It's very odd that the missing piece very was, strange. A, was a random baseball. Very strange. Uh, so I do have one more quote uh, from... Uh, Rick Moranis, if you'd like me to read it, would you? Uh, are you ready for it? I am ready for it. So they're finally here, performing God for you. Fucking damn if it! You know the words. Shut you can the join fuck it too. Up. Put your hands together if you want to clap as we take you through this monkey rap. And I don't think I could have. I'm said going it better to myself. send you <laughs> vials of human piss. <laughs> After leaving them in direct sunlight for a month. I want your family to stink bad for years. I want as as the most discomfort short of physical pain I can possibly inflict to you and your loved ones. I am so <laughs> mad that you want that you did that. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Wizard of the Bruiser. If you'd like to support us further, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. We've got weekly bonus content for just $5 a month. And for $15 a month, you can join us for our Sunday study sessions. Hey, have you been, uh, has this episode been interrupted by ads? And you're like, God, I just wish I could listen without ads. Great news. If you go to the Patreon, the $5 tier also gets you ad-free episodes for all the mainline history episodes. In addition to the hundreds of hours of bonus content you can listen to immediately. It's I know I you're it. thinking, ah, oh, it's so sad they're doing the plugs. The episode's almost over. I want to keep listening to Jake and Holden do their funny bits and they and do their their zips and zaps, but you can. You can. All you got to do is go to that Patreon and you will unlock 
all sorts of delights. There you got it. There you have it. The ad-free thing is such a huge value add. I worked really hard to get that for you guys. So check us out. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Check me out. Twitch.tv forward slash Holton Nature's Ho. Monday through Friday. I'm back, baby. We're off the road. We're streaming again all week long. I just played some Dead Space and some Street Fighter on my Thursday morning gaming stream. Join me. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've got some new things coming to the schedule as well. So check us out uh, on there. Monday through Friday. Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Jake? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young. On Instagram at Best Jake Young. Uh, you can follow uh, Wizbrew on TikTok. Wizard Bruiser LPN on TikTok. And of course, I do my own little streamy thing. It's called Puppet Jared. It's the avatar that the world has been needing. A VTuber par excellence. Uh, my flagship stream is the Thursday Cartoon Dumpster. Every Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern, we watch some weird old bad cartoons and we just make the ever-loving fun out of them. Uh, and I think you'll like it. If you like this show, you'll probably like that stream. That's that's my Hell yeah. I love it. And always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. And uh, April, if you can play a little bit of uh, My Mother's Brisket by Rick Moranis to take us out, I think that'd be very heartwarming. My mother's brisket So silky smooth Whatever might happen all week There's nothing quite like it to stew This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human, Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy.